0: Hello again, friends and leaders. Welcome back to What Leaders Want. I'm your host, Jay Delling, and it's here that we peel the proverbial onion back on how leadership makes the world go around. Today's podcast is sponsored by Kanatus 3, the experts in leadership development, coaching, and consulting. Kanatus 3 develops people into leaders of people. And today I'm really excited. My guest is an education leader. Say hi to Rob Rotola, president of Life Prep Academy in Wichita, Kansas. Life Prep Academy is this beautiful and rich story of of really giving families a a great and affordable option of preparing their young man or woman for college with this just great style of academic quality under an umbrella of a godly-based foundation. I love that. Rob, thanks for stopping by to talk about the impact leadership has in education, and to talk about leadership in general. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Jay. thank you so much for having
0: me. All right, so your leadership story is absolutely fascinating to me, Rob. So let's okay. break it down in segments, okay? Because okay. it th- there's a lot to it, and I, w- I want our viewers to um, really pause and, and and understand all the different layers. So in seventh grade, your school basically went out of business. Your father restructured the school where you finished high school. Talk about that time in your life and what you learned about leadership by watching your father and how the dominoes kind of begin to fall in teaching you about servant leadership.
1: Okay. So yeah, I'm the oldest of five kids. My dad is a local pastor here in town of a church called Word of Life Church. And we moved to Wichita when I was about three years old and a tiny little uh, a church. And so my dad wanted to put us in a private school. Um, he had a real low income and he had found a very affordable school. It used to be called Christian Center Academy. It was on West Street and Taft. And I had started there in kindergarten. And, and in seventh grade, that school had announced to its parents that it was going to go out of business. And um, it just couldn't keep up with the the bills and, and, and the teachers. And like many church schools, it just really was struggling. And and at the time, my dad's church had been blossoming and had, you know, seven, 800 members, and they had this dream and idea to start a school. And one thing that I learned from my dad is uh, a lot of people in the, in the church world or in the nonprofit world, they won't try or do anything new until it's very safe, you know, until I got all my volunteers lined up, I got the whole budget lined up, I got the whole plan, I got a three and five year plan, and we've had 10 meetings about it. And now, now let's try to do something to serve the community unfortunately, you just never get there. And um, sometimes those ministries or those nonprofits end up just doing very little or never really, um, you know, never really accomplishing what they set out to do. And what I saw my dad do is, I mean, the truth is he had no business starting a school. You know, he had a little bit of knowledge, limited budget, um, but he knew that demand was there and he knew that even if the school started as medium quality, it was going to be serving its customers and parents were going to want what we were going to offer. So he jumped in and just started a school. I mean, he took over our, our, our school that was going to close and added a building for elementary. And and it was a new, fresh thing in Wichita. And in 99, when the school opened, um, you know, that first year, we had a huge amount of students, a big influx. Um, but, um, you know, the school fell on some hard times. The, the lady who was the principal and had founded it, um, unfortunately, got diagnosed with cancer right after she started and passed away that first, that first shortly after that. And uh, so the school had a rough beginning. Um, I was in eighth grade the very first year of the school. And um, um, and uh, but yeah, I learned a lot from my dad. One of the things is, is is God honors movement. God honors doing something, you know, Um, and and, and being sometimes risky and sometimes um, stepping out and being willing to uh, try something even before you have all your ducks in a row.
0: I love that. So you graduated from high school and played football in college. And as with many of us, uh, career and professional sports didn't work out. Yeah. It was, I think, it was two thousand eight during the financial crisis. Jobs were scarce. You moved back to Wichita, where you hung out in your parents' proverbial basement <laughs> playing video games. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that if they had the chance, right? I and mean, then, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so, and, and then, incredible leadership opportunity presented itself, right? So, tell us about the leadership it took by taking Word of Life School, which was, as you said, losing money in 2008 into morphing it into Life Prep Academy today, where where you positively impact students, you're making money, and you're growing today. Talk to us about that period of time.
1: Yeah, I mean, my dad instilled in me certain values, and one of those of being hard work and, and um, not giving up. And, and I I was a really driven kid and teenager both with sports. I played baseball my whole life. I switched to playing football in high school actually and and played quarterback and loved it and fell in love with the game and um I went to Hutch Juco to play um football and then man I got hit with what college football is like compared to that high school and unfortunately I I didn't have some mental toughness and I and at at 19 I you know, changed my mind and did that classic thing, and then I transferred to a school called Wheaton College up in Chicago, and and um, and went there and 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 um, and uh, enjoyed my time there, and and um, uh, played a little bit of baseball and a little bit of football, and uh, had a had a good time there. Uh, never really saw the, the athletic career take off um, like I thought it would, and so yeah, when I got done with college, I had a job offer to stay in Chicago, but family was so important to me, and. Um, and so I, I moved back. I had a sister who was still in two sisters who were still in elementary school at the time, because I'm the oldest of five. And and so I moved back and I at first I was just for sure I wasn't gonna work at the school or my dad's business. That's all I cared about. I was gonna work at Coke or Cargill or Cessna or one of the big guys. And and so in 08, I'm I'm sitting there in that summer and I'll make applications and I get nothing. And it was crickets and and I kind of went into probably maybe what I now know maybe would have been a little bit of a depression. I was directionless. I uh, like you said, I was—I had reverted. I hadn't even played a single video game in four years of college. I was playing video games all day in my basement. That I, I actually own my parents' house now, so it's funny. Uh, but I was playing video games in my basement, and I—and um, um, my dad saw that I wasn't really doing anything productive, and he asked me to be the football coach at the school. And uh, and I—I was like, well, I won't teach or I don't want to work there, but I can coach football, and so I kind of jumped in to coach football and and then that first year actually school um, had an even a bigger tragedy the principal had had a heart attack and he was he was um he was not able to continue on in his current role and so um that my dad had asked me and and the board had asked me to you know i had a finance degree and a, an economic Finance the ministry to save it because we needed to pull out equity or we were gonna um, not have enough cash to keep going and so we applied it over 50 different banks. That was the first duty I did, and it took me almost a year to get us refinanced, and we got ourselves so refinanced. We got back to square one, um, but the school lost $700,000 the first year um, I was in leadership over the school, and we're talking a, a budget of 300,000 intake and about a million outtake, and the church just couldn't keep up with that kind of losses, and, and we didn't, only had so much equity that we had built up over the years, and so we kind of got back to square one, but we realized we were either going to close the school or it was going to be a long shot. And so they had me take over at 23 years old. And at 23, um, all of a sudden now I'm I'm running a school with about 170 students and 20-something staff. And and, and a lot of those staff were my teachers just five years before. And now um, I had to figure out how to to lead us out of a huge financial hole um, because the school had great ideas, um, but um, it had honestly had been run by kind of too many pastors and, and we needed some actual business sense in it and, and, and to figure um, some things out. And so I had a certain strategy that I enacted that first couple of years and it, it, it tend to work and it, and it grew over time.
0: So th- that's interesting to me because, you know, you talked about, you know, how the leadership with pastors. And so it, it appears to me like you had that good balance because I, you know, I've known you for a while and, you're one of the most godly people I know, but you have this, this intrinsic style and, and, and ability to process business along the way. So talk about the importance of that of that balance.
1: Well, I think a lot of times in nonprofit world, people start with the charity and they're like, you know, running a school, you see a family with five kids, they need your school, they can't pay anything. And you say, well, this is why our school's here to help this one family or help this family. And and when you start with that um, and you're not kind of strong, that's kind of the limited charity you're going to give. You're going to help a couple of families. Um, when we really realized that, hey, let's get our business in order first. Let's be financially independent. Let's be strong. Let's not take deals that don't work and don't make sense. And then a year, two, three down the road, we're going to have the ability to help five or six families like this, not just one. And so that was the strategy I did. So it was a lot of changing the guard of what we had done in the past. Um, You know, I'm a 23 year old leader at this time. And, and honestly, I I, I jokingly say it was my leadership style was like, I'll clean the throw up because I needed to earn the respect of these 40 and 50 and 60 year olds who are now answering to a punk 23 year old that they rightfully would have probably assumed I only got the job because you know who my family was, but it was pretty quick that I was able to earn their respect. Then they saw me that I was willing to do anything that I was working hard that I we would get there at 6 in the morning and clean their classroom before the first day of school so you know it looked good or whatever and and when they saw uh, uh, that all of a sudden the schools start bringing in you know we almost tripled our revenues within the first three years and so we all of a sudden were a, a business in three years that had tripled its revenues and it had more employees and more opportunities and the quality was still probably a c minus c plus but 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 it was a momentum thing, and schools don't grow like this overnight. Schools kind of kind of go up and down, and 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 you know it's only uh, there's a big chicken and the egg problem with schools, which is you know you want to have a football team, well you can't have a football team without players, and you can't get players without a football team, and so you kind of have to start sometimes investing in programs that are not going to pay off for three four or five years, and so it took us getting our finances in order so we can invest in in programs like fine arts and sports and clubs and activities. Which took years to pay off, but have paid off now. And now, you know, sitting here 15 years later, the school is just in a really different spot than it was when we took it over.
0: Rob in leadership, we we talk all the time about influences um, in our life. Other people make huge impacts in our lives, right? And when it is parents at the top of that list, it makes my heart happy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I know you're close to your mom and dad. I want you to talk about the impact and influence that your parents have made in your life.
1: You know, a lot of people start out with uh, people in Christian world or in leadership world. They have some story of a rough childhood or I have the opposite. I have um, was really blessed to have the kind of parents that anyone would kill for, you know, a dad that was really hardworking that spent his entire career serving others that, you know, I'm Never saw him lost his cool one time in my life. I've never heard him use profanity at me. or I mean, just was a great childhood, a great father, a mother who cared so much about her family. Her mom had died at a young age. Uh, her She had lost all her family memories in a big fire. And her family, really, she didn't have really a family. Um, uh, she has some sisters that she's close to and a brother that had passed away. And so for my mom, I got to see the importance of building a family. Um, you know, family memories, pictures, all that stuff that, you know, when you're a kid, you, you're like, I don't want to take another picture. But now, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we have this incredibly tight knit family and, um, and an extended family of cousins and, 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 and my wife's family now that is around, around the world. And, and so, um, yeah, setting me and the importance of, of family. And then also I saw my dad balance work and personal life greater than most pastors and most people I have seen. My dad was a baseball coach. He coached us hundreds of games every summer between me and my brother. He would he would sometimes preach with his baseball uniform under his suit so he could then rush to the game and get there by the start of the first inning uh, for a noon game on a Sunday. So um, I, I saw the importance of that and I have, I have continued to do that with my kids as I coach my son in golf and, and um, you know, hope to have him be able to be better than me one day, so.
0: Great story. All right, we're at the halfway point. Now we're at the uh point in the podcast where we get to know Rob Rotola. So okay. I'm gonna ask a question or ask you to pick between two things. All right. Okay. There are no points awarded, no all prizes right. earned, you get nothing and you like it.
1: All okay. right.
0: Are you ready? Yep. Yeah. All right, here we go. Pebble Beach or Augusta National?
1: Oh, Augusta National. It's not even close. I I love Pebble Beach, but I mean, Augusta is like every golfer's dream come true to even just see it. I mean, I would probably pay five grand to just walk the course. I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, it would be my dream to go there one day um,
0: for sure. I don't want to brag or anything, but I've been there three times. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh. You got to bring me next time. I promise. I'll be a good partner.
0: Augusta National or St. Andrews?
1: Oh, that's going to be a tough one there. I would love to walk across that Swolkin Bridge and see the, you know, old course hotel. And man, um, I'm still going to pick Augusta. I, uh, you know, I know that's the birthplace of golf, but the, just is not nearly as beautiful as Augusta, Georgia. And I would just, I would love to, to get a chance to see that golf course for sure. All
0: right. Would you rather have the satisfaction of hitting the green at the iconic par 3 17th hole at TPC at Sawgrass or hitting the famous par 5 13th at Augusta National in two. Oh, you know me, Jay, I'm a long hitter. I can't hit (laughs) par 3s. I, uh,
1: and I grew up playing baseball and football. So my golf journey is funny. I, uh, I just started playing really during COVID. Um, that's when I met you. Um, and uh, no, I would like to go for the green and two and try to hit a 270-yard three wood into that green for sure.
0: I almost answered that for you. All right, all right. Jack Nicklaus or Tiger Woods? You know,
1: I am a I am a Tiger Woods fan through and through. I know he has a gray and checkered pass, but I think we all do. And I'm really, I was. I actually learned a lot with how he came out of the struggles and the, the drama that he had put himself in and, and became a better man. And so, yeah, I, I would say Tiger Woods for sure.
0: Would you rather make a hole in one or a double eagle?
1: I've never had a hole in one. I think you want to make a hole in one because hole in one, you all your friends are on the tee box with you and it's a big celebration together. A double eagle, you might be completely by yourself. I don't know. And plus a double eagle, you usually don't see it go in. It's like a random thing. You get up there and you notice you made it. But no, I've never had either one, but I would I would I would take the hole in one. My wife Jay bought me a hole in one t-shirt because she know I love golf, but she didn't understand you can't wear that if you have a hole in one. <laughs> so I keep it in my golf bag. If you ever get a hole in one with me, I'm gonna rip it out. I'm gonna put a hole in one t-shirt on. My wife bought me five years ago. So well,
0: I hope you I hope you launder it every month or so. <laughs> <laughs> That's All true. Right. For a game winning play, would you rather throw an 80 yard touchdown pass or take the snap and run it 80 yards for a score? Hmm. Well, I did throw
1: an 80 yard touchdown pass to win our state championship when I was in 11th grade. So I will take that one. I uh, remember the play like it was yesterday. Jesse Denman along the left hand side, hit him in stride and in and, 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 uh, front of a couple thousand fans in high school. And it was, you know, one of the strongest memories of my life. So I'll take that one.
0: All right. I know you have ties to New York. Yep. The Yankees or the
1: Mets? We're Yankees fans, my family. My dad grew up a Mets fan, but kind of been Yankees fans. But honestly, uh, when Nate Robertson made the big leagues for the Tigers, I kind of became a Tigers fan because Dick, his dad, was my first boss. And so I became a hardcore Tigers fan. Now I actually like the Marlins because one of my students is on the Marlins, Jazz Chisholm, one of my former students, went to my school. He's the the center fielder for the Marlins. They just made the playoffs. So I'm a Marlins fan now. Can you imagine?
0: All right. You got to be proud. Mariana Rivera or Derek Jeter?
1: I love that Mariana Rivera was able to get all the best players in the world out with one pitch. I mean, he just only had one pitch, and I will take Rivera. He was... Although I'm... I think I had Jeter's jersey growing up and I loved him, but I'll take Rivera.
0: You know, I I remember back when uh, Rivera made his last appearance in Yankee Stadium Mm -hmm. and he was taken out of the game by Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit. And that always stuck with me. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: Giants or the Jets? Oh,
1: I'm a. So my dad's from New York and our family was there, but we moved down to South Florida. So I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. I was born in Miami. I hate the Giants and the Jets. I really hate the Jets. <laughs> I really hate the Jets. They're in the they're in our division, so no, I'm not a Jets fan. I'm glad the Chiefs beat them this week. So.
0: Okay, well that that messed up my next next question. So you're <laughs> you're a Dolphins fan?
1: Correct. I'm randomly a Dolphins fan. My dad's teenage years were in Miami, and so when I grew up, my dad had my dad loved the Dolphins, and so you kind of love who your dad loves usually in oh, football. Okay. Even though All I'm right, not so, a Dolphins fan.
0: So we'll go this way. Um, Bob Greasy or Dan Marino? Oh. I'm 37, man. Greasy.
1: <laughs> way before my age. I'm I up, way old, though. First game I ever watched was Dan Marino. I remember the Leon Lett game with my cousins in the snow oh. in Thanksgiving Day. That was my first ever football game I watched in my life that I remember. And so, yeah, I'm a Dan Marino fan. And now I love Tua. Oh, my gosh, Tua. What a, what a leader and what a Christian guy. And I, I hope he can stay healthy
0: because he'd be, he'd be great. All right. Rob what is your dream foursome dead or alive to play golf yep
1: well you gotta start with tiger Uh, but i'm gonna go really outside of golf for the for the next two i'm gonna go with elon musk and donald trump because that would just be an (laughs) unbelievable example of Great, you know the yeah that's uh, I would take I'll take Elon Trump and Tiger and me on Augusta and we'll play eighteen.
0: <laughs> that golf course would never be the same wherever we <laughs> played. All right, as I said, no points awarded, no money. You get nothing, but thanks for sharing part of your life. Thank All right, you. back to the ranch. So yep. every conversation I have on what leaders want will include the topic my most impactful leadership moment or leadership period of time. Mm -hmm. You touched on it earlier. I want you to go into more detail. I know you have had several, you know, of these impactful moments, but I want you to focus on what you call the I'll clean the throw up phase. And I know you touched on it. I want you to go deeper into it. Okay. So
1: when I was 23 and we, and, And I'm kind of got thrust into some leadership at the school. Um, I, I understood where we were at. I understood, um, you know, where we stacked up against our competition. And so I was trying to figure out how could we carve out some niche in our community that serves customers better than anyone else. I wasn't going to be on my sports program. I on. it wasn't going to be on all the academics and the college classes. So we looked for, I looked for um, ways that um, I could, you know make the school better and and a specific niche that we could then target and um and I also in that 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 I that idea of let's clean the throw up it was I mean it literally came from that like you know when a kid throws up in school no one wants to clean it we didn't even have money for a janitor back in the day so it was like who's going to do this and I remember seeing my school secretary do it and I'm like wow you know what this is an opportunity for me to do it it doesn't need to be Miss Lisa it needs to be Rob and so I would be the one that would do that kind of work and 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 be try to be the you know last one there um and um and just you know try to earn the respect of of the people that you know some of these um some some of these teachers you know used to teach me when i was in middle school and now all of a sudden they're supposed to try to you know listen to me and and i'm asking them to make big changes i'm asking them to do things differently i'm asking them to to to, to get outside their comfort zone, to embrace new technologies, to to um, embrace this international student program that we had created. And so it was really just a, a first phase of leadership, which is just kind of trying to put the school on my back and run with it as far as I could. And it worked for a period. It didn't work forever. Um, and then you certainly can't do that for um, that style, uh, I think, and and grow a massive, large company with hundreds of employees. But um, it worked when we had 20 employees and, and it was just uh, me trying to, sh- to show the um to show the the staff that um if I was willing to do anything for the school, and I was hoping they would then see that and and work hard for the school as well how
0: that have that work out because that's it's really impressive somebody that has that kind of perspective at such a young age um, you, you you didn't you weren't entitled right um, you you were kind of mature for your age, so how did that work out down the line as you saw the people that you led look at you doing literally every conceivable job in that building?
1: Yeah. um, It worked out very well. It took time. You know, I think when you go through a lot, you know, we were asking these people to understand the financial situation we're in. We had times where we would cut 25 paychecks and pass out three of them. Until set until 20-something people, hey, can you wait a week to cash this check? You know, you know, we were in, and some people waited. I, I have an employee that had 20, 30 checks sitting in his desk. He would cash at the end of the year. And so we're asking them, everyone was sacrificing for a vision and the thing we believed in, which is that this city needed a private Christian school that was more affordable for lower-middle-income families. And so we, I was getting him to believe in the vision. You know, I've always been a big vision caster. That's always been my dad's strength, too, is casting a vision. But it's easy to cast a vision that you make other people do the hard parts. Mm -hmm. So I realized, Hey, if I'm going to cast a big vision, I'm going to do the hard parts and then, yeah. And then if I'm doing the hard parts and then I'm going to, you know, get other people alongside me to, to help and, um, and do that as well. And so it was about inspiring them. And I'm gonna tell you, when you go through that and you have a staff that has, has been at the bottom and gone through those struggles and those pains of those growing pains and stuff, it does make it a lot easier now in perspective to say when we go through things now and be like, Hey, Well, not as bad as it was in 08 or 09 or 10, you know, 2010. So we, we, people who have a long arc of the 15 years that uh, me and the leadership of the school have been there, um, we have gained a lot of perspective. And I think it, it allows us to continue to grow and to integrate. And as we have, you know, taken the school to a much higher level since COVID.
0: Yeah. Speaking of COVID, the pandemic was a, a period of time, Rob, in our world that really sometimes splintered our mindset and our ways of thinking, right? And so yep. you had what many would consider a very brazen reaction to COVID-19 back in 2020. Yep. Share, with, share with us what transpired upon learning of this great challenging period of time.
1: Well, I, I'd just like to start by saying, you know, I, I respect everyone that had a different opinion in the COVID situation. I felt like it was it was a time that you have your opinion for you and your family. And, I, and one of the things I felt strongly that it, I didn't really like that the government got to come in and try to say like they had an opinion for everyone. This is exactly what you got to do, regardless of who you are. I felt like they needed to give us a lot of information. But I think the group of people make the best decision with each individual member of that group making the decision that's right for them and their family. And I knew and I had heard just from, you know, um, from around that, that you know, my concept of originally growing the school through the international program, carving out a niche that we could do that's good. You know, we were heavily relying on international students at the time It Was 70 percent of our income. We're talking about I'm, I wake up on my I think it was my birthday, March 20, 17, 2020, and, and our governor had just closed all the schools and we had one hundred and thirty something international students from 40 countries all in a panic trying to get home. And they're my customers that pay me and they're probably never coming back in my mind, you know? And what is it gonna take for me to, you know, come back? And if it really was gonna be two weeks, I think it would have been okay. But once it was two months and four months, I needed a new strategy. And, And one of the things I thought is, hey, what if we just do kind of something different than other schools are doing? And maybe parents will want that. Maybe there's parents that don't want their kindergartners in a mask. Maybe there's parents that want more common sense rules when it comes to um, how long you have to sit out. If if you maybe got contact tracing at a wedding or something, maybe. So we, 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 have, we went to our parents and our staff and we said, we're going to have a very different approach. We are going to allow you to choose to wear a mask. We're going to allow you choose to you know, how long your kid needs to sit out if, if they've been exposed to COVID, take their temperature. Uh, we, of course, followed, um, asked our parents to follow, um, you know, the guidelines. Uh, and what we saw is an influx of 150 new students. We saw parents um, beating at our door. I was giving 10 tours a day in July, 2020. Uh, people trying to get their kids in our school because they understood that, yeah, life is a risk. and And maybe the risk of allowing my second grader to come to school and not wear a mask maybe that's better than my second grader having two years of not being educated properly or having two years of doing online schooling, which doesn't work um, for most kids. And so um, that strategy of, of saying kind of like, where is everyone else going? And then, and then, okay, why are they going there? Um, you know, the, uh, I, I, I heard, uh, I was just teaching, Ameri- I teach American history in my school and I was teaching just the other day and I can't remember which founding father said it. I think it was Franklin. He said like, when everyone is running for a cliff, the one going the opposite direction looks crazy and that's how it kind of felt at the time is like you know other people were in such a panic and i was a little bit more measured and calm about what the risk factors were for young kids because the risk factors were clearly not you know um what it could be if it was the bubonic plague or something right and so uh, i just had a different strategy um i also knew that a lot of schools were going to do online school So to get my international students, I just found a bunch of kids who didn't want to go online. And we had over 100 transfers to our school from international, 150 new students. And we went from a school of 270 to 400 overnight during that time. And what's interesting in my industry in the international boarding school and Christian school world, um, some Christian schools grew as well, but the people who were connected with international students, it was a 90% loss in our industry that year. I mean, there was no new kids coming. So many businesses closed their dorms, went out of business, schools closed. And so we were able to grow 15% our international program during the hardest time ever. Because what my, one of the things I learned from my dad is, you know, when everyone else is looking out of circumstance and they're just worried about everything, he had this little approach he used to do where he would lay out all the bills out on the table and we couldn't pay any of them, paychecks and bills. And he would laugh at them, like physically say, ha, 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 you know, laugh at the bills changed his mindset, you know, didn't let them rule over him, realize I'm going to take this one chunk at a time. I'm going to wait, I'm going to make five good decisions today. And I, and just, you do that for 30 days in a row and man, you made 150 good decisions and you all of a sudden you're out of a hole. And so that was what I did during COVID. I worked my absolute butt off for the last three years. I kind of feel like I just came out of that, um, oh, oh, that phase between COVID, which then spurred us needing a new building because we grew and then getting a new building and just moving into it. So overall, um, you know, being willing to, um, being willing to lead during a, a period of time when everyone else was afraid of lawsuits. Um, I got a call from the health department and I just said, hey, I feel like I have a first amendment right to peaceful, to assemble and to, to have the freedom of speech and our parents, it's a private school, not government funded, you know, our parents are choosing to come here. I don't see in the constitution that I don't have a right to, to operate like our parents want us to operate. And so that was a, it was a little risky and um, yeah, it certainly took a little bit of guts, but um, I'm really glad that that me and my team did it. And, you know, out of our 70 staff members at the time, we had zero that wanted to teach online. You know, we had all of them um, realize that they wanted to stay in person and
0: that really paid off. Taking risks. Measured risks like measured you did risk. is certainly part of leadership. So, Rob, I know you're a reader, someone yeah. with a, a thirst for knowledge about an assortment of topics. Right. You're a big fan of who is holding my ladder, which is based on a a solid leadership strategy, in my opinion, of having the right people in the right seats. Share with us how this relates to your culture at Life Prep Academy.
1: So when we blew up during COVID, we went from a school where I was directly managing all the employees, the 40-something employees we had. All of a sudden, now we have 400 students. Our staff got up to like 80 almost overnight. And I realized I needed a better middle management strategy and a better, a better team under me that that I was giving them more authority. I think I had developed a bad habit during the first couple of years, which was thinking that we were they were one disaster away from going bankrupt because we were for like many years. Uh, and so I kind of, even though after we, the school had gotten a lot stronger, I, I kept was I was micromanaging and it wasn't working. Um, and I'd been given a book um, from one of my dads. Um, that book you referenced, and uh, you know, the concept of the book is just, you know, who is holding your ladder to allow you to go higher in in business and with your school. And I looked around me, and um, well, it, it wasn't it wasn't that pretty. And so um, it, it took it took me hiring new people, um, and I didn't even get it right the first two times. I, I hired a I hired a, a leader that it, it didn't work out. I hired a A principal that I had to let go just shortly after. And and I was, I think my staff thought I was gonna fail um, and that it wasn't gonna work. But I was able to actually tap into some of the same things that that some of the same risk taking that this board did to me, which was I I found a principal. She had 15 years experience in 259 Mm -hmm. and she was amazing. Her name's Paula Rodriguez, and she came on our staff, and then I promoted two moms, you know, um, one that had education. I made them high leaders at my school. People. uh, One lady was a mom. She was on the Newton School Board. She knew school. She was a sharp businesswoman. Another mom was that uh, uh, she had, a, she was this caring, loving person that loved the school so much. And I realized, you know, if I have a great leader, like me casting a vision, I don't think I'm that great, but a good leader casting a vision. Paula, who I wanted to say was the great leader, really knows how to run a school. And I, and I don't micromanage. I've given her the keys to the ship. I've moved into a little bit of a higher position to where I'm caring over the block, not managing everything. And then she has this great team of these two worker bees under her that really have a passion and love for the kids in the school. And, and this new leadership team that I've created and then making directors of each department and giving them authority and letting them, letting them, um, letting them take ownership. And now we have a, instead of having one or two or three people fully bought in, like I have been for 15 years, I feel like I have 20, 30 leaders fully bought in. And, um, and we have a, a much higher ladder being held by more people and the schools in the straight, the, 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 most financial strength it's ever been in and the, and the the clearest path towards the the where I want to take it that we've ever been in and I see light at the end of the tunnel for us to be a great school.
0: Rob, this has been uh an enlightening time for me. I've learned a lot. I know the listeners have. Thanks for your time today and sharing your thoughts about leadership. It's truly an honor to to get to know you better. Friends, that's a wrap. We'll put a bow on this episode of What Leaders Want. Today's podcast is sponsored by Canatus 3, the experts in leadership development, coaching, and consulting. Canatus 3 develops people into leaders of people. Until we meet again, remember, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you, my friends, are a leader. Bye now.